This is a relatively new podcast, so we've had a lot of firsts, uh, but we've got another one today. We've got the first Australian head coach of a college program uh, joining us today, Rich Thompson, head coach of the National Park College, a junior college in Arkansas, joins us. Rich, welcome. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Kind of got to start with, how does an Australian guy end up as the head coach of a junior college baseball program? This is a lot to unpack here, so uh, take your time and, and step us through it. Um, so my wife is from Arkansas, and she just happens to be from Hot Springs, Arkansas. And National Park is uh, in Hot Springs, and we are called National Park because we are actually the only national park in America you can live in. And you can actually use the resource. So what that means is um, about three years ago, we were starting the program here in Hot Springs with the local junior college um, that was really just starting up athletics. Uh, we'd, it had been 25 years since sports had been around. Um, the first sports to come in were basketball, uh, men's and women's. And then we brought in baseball and cross-country and softball. Um, fortunately enough, uh, I was really involved in baseball in this town. Um, and, and basically signed on as the assistant. Um, I wanted to kind of throw my hand up there. We hadn't had a program for 25 years. I don't want you guys to screw it up. So... I put my, you know, money where my mouth was and, and basically tried to do as much as I could to be involved. Fortunately enough, they, they took me up on the offer and, and I became the first assistant coach of this program. Uh, fast forward 12 months, the guy they put in the head coach's program, in the head coach's uh, role was actually the assistant basketball coach. So... And the plan was really that he would educate me on the JUCO side and I could do the baseball. So it was kind of a, a great uh, situation where I had the keys to the kingdom on the baseball side and then just had to learn the JUCO side. Um, and he, the AD slash head basketball coach, was looking to get out of being the head basketball guy and was wearing plenty of hats. And so they promoted Dylan to the head basketball job, and then they gave me the head baseball job. So it's been a been a really interesting ride, and and it was really that I wanted to make this the best program possible for our town. Um, I'm a big advocate of the community, etc. So, so just we probably should add some context here. You weren't an Australian dude on a Kentucky tour who happened to meet a girl in Arkansas and fell in love and moved to Arkansas, was coaching T-ball and fell into a junior college program. You do have a bit of a professional <laughs> baseball background that gives you some credibility. So we probably should talk about uh, you as a professional baseball player as well. Um, you signed professionally um, with the Angels. And yep, yeah, I, I really like to unpack Australians – and their journey through, um, you know, club baseball, state and national representation, and then into um, 
uh, into professional baseball and sort of how that all came about. So just indulge me a little bit while I fire you questions. So you're obviously um, a pretty talented junior baseball player. When did when did the option of um, playing professional baseball, when did that come onto your radar? When did you think, oh, hang on, I've got a chance of doing something here? I was, I was really lucky and fortunate to be, be in a really good sweet spot. Um, I think the development side in Sydney was spectacular. Um, you know, we had the Institute of Sports with baseball programs. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, you know, make the New South Wales teams from 13 through 18 and, um, and made it every year, which I was really fortunate to do. Um, at about 14, um, some people started having conversations with my parents. Um, hey man, this, if you, you probably need to look forward to this potentially being an option. Um, and at 17, uh, Grant Weir was, was kind enough to sign me. Um, I had a few different teams, um, also interested, but, uh, ended up choosing to pitch with, with the angels and, um, it was a great decision. You know, I ended up going, um, my first time over, luckily enough, had Michael Collins, you know, um, who is the bullpen catcher now slash coach for the Houston Astros big league team. You know, we were roommates together. So I had a, an Australian with me. So going 7,000 miles away, um, I did have a familiar face. So the other bit that's always interesting to me is – just how ready you were. Like part of, I guess, these podcasts and what we're trying to do is educate the what this level of baseball is like. And I'm always really fascinated to know. And we've had some, we've had like really polar opposite answers here. So when you jump off the plane and you show up <laughs> to spring training, were you like, I'm not even ready for this? Because we've had some people like, I just walked into this world of self doubt. Like these guys were monsters. And then I've had other people say, Oh yeah, yeah I was good to go. Um, what, you know, what were your first? What was your first sort of experience like of walking into spring training, and, and how on a scale of one to ten, ten being the highest, where were you at in terms of I'm ready to go here? I think I was in a world of naivety, <laughs> um, honestly. You know, you are just a confident young player. You've had success. Um, I had really no idea what I was getting into. There's a story I like to tell. Like Derek Turnbow was with us, who ended up being a big league closer for a good amount of times with the Brewers, etc. Um, my first day um, in Arizona, it's a hundred degrees. Derek Turnbow's rehabbing in extended with us, and he starts the game. And Turnbow was throwing a hundred when hundred wasn't really normal. Um, and I don't think it's normal now, but it's a little more, bit more normal maybe, right? And he proceeds to give up six runs in the first inning. And I'm talking a loud six runs. And if anyone's ever been to Gene Autry Park in Arizona, I think it's 420 center and 350 to the corners. Like it is a big park. And it is laser off the wall, laser off the wall, home run. And this is like extended kids just tattooing a hundred miles an hour. Like it is nothing. And I've left Australia having probably never seen above 92. 
and this dude is just getting shellacked. And and I was like, well, this could either go really well or I'm on a plane here soon. <laughs> you know, and uh, like never seen a hundred before, and it is getting tattooed like you've never seen before. So <laughs> that was my first day in the camp. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll open your eyes a little bit. Um, so you're you made it to the big leagues, um, which we probably you know we've been chatting for nearly ten minutes and didn't mention that yet. Um, was that like at what point in your journey? So you signed in two thousand two. You know you're there two thousand two two thousand three. You make the big leagues in two thousand and seven. That's a pretty short period of time. Like when did you? When did it kind of dawn on you that hang on, I got a shot at this. I might. I might make the make the big leagues. Like honestly, I was stupid. Um, <laughs> and just day naive. one, <laughs> I'm gonna be there day one. Like day one, had no clue. Um, pitched well. I went to Arizona that first year. Pitched pretty well. You know, maybe two seventy RA. Um, pitched well. Uh, and honestly, left my change up on the Pacific Ocean on the way over there, and and had to live fastball curveball. And that next year I came back to spring training and they divided the teams sort of up into potentially what they were going to be about halfway through spring training. And then they left me off and put me on the extended roster and it pissed me off. <laughs> and that day I proceeded to go out and I think I struck out six dudes in a row and the low A manager went to bat for me like he was like i want this dude like no bones about it he just turned 18 or whatever he did but i want him um and i was really fortunate of cloud hitting to do that and i ended up going to midwest league that first year and i ended up throwing like i don't know almost 40 innings of one run and was just just pitching out of my eyeballs like no idea really what I was doing. Just throwing as hard as I could and hoping they'd chase it. <laughs> <laughs> so I make, them, make the all-star team in the Midwest League as an 18-year-old. And then I guess the next week after the all-star game, they called me up to high eight. So I was an 18-year-old kid thrown against four-year college guys, you know, even like multi-year pro guys and, and that was when it finally caught up, is that I had to learn to pitch better. You know, I was a thrower. I was a thrower a long way through. Um, and and those college guys, in a way, were able to just, you know, weed out a little bit of the my inability to really dot fastballs and throw curveballs for strikes. Um, and I got stuck there for three years and, you know, got passed up a couple of times because I was young, probably, um, wasn't pitching lights out, you know, pitching okay, but that cow league was, was tough for a fly ball pitcher because that's really what I was. And that cow league's always, always lots of home runs and lots of, uh, you know, lots of big, strong dudes that end up, you know, moving on quite well and polished college hitting. Um, 
I ended up coming back in 2007. I ended up going to double A in 2006. And then actually went to triple A that year. Came back, had a little soreness in spring training. And then went from there, I went, I sent me back to A-ball. And I was kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was like, all right, I just got to pitch my way out of here again. And ended up that year having done this off-season program, um, which is a lot what I do with my college boys now, which has been showing great, great things. But I went from high A to the big leagues in one year. And it was really just getting back to what I do best, is throwing good fastballs and, and throwing a big old curveball. Um, and, you know, made the Futures game along the way and made the, you know, the AA All-Star team along the way. Um, and and it was just sometimes I'd get really, really streaky. <laughs> the, Fortunately enough, yeah. Yeah, the, the, I was fascinated, like, Australia had a... a, a a kind of wave of guys in, in your era and it was probably just before, well, it was before this sort of, you know, arm care, um, these sort of advanced workout <laughs> programs and that sort of stuff. And and then, you know, while I was doing some research on your career, obviously injuries started to chew up a good period of time um, between your debut and, and, and you just touched on sort of, you, you went back to a program you were using. Like, where's your career at if some of this these workout programs and this focus on conditioning and strength, where do you, like, it's really interesting talking to players who've just missed that period of time and most of them say, well, geez, I wish I knew that stuff, you know, when I was there because from a physical health point of view, it would have made a difference. Like, what's your take on that? I was extremely fortunate. I was probably on the ground floor of that. Um, in a way, I have a guy, um, his name is Brett Fisher and he is spectacular. He is now the physical therapist for the Arizona Cardinals football team and has been for about 15 years. Australian but he guy. was really on the floor. Uh, no, he's American. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, out of Phoenix. Um, and he was, I want to say he was the forefront of sports specific training through a rehab-focused system, I guess is how you would call it. So he was kind of like, I'm guessing, you know, before Cressy, before like those those sports-specific guys that became, well, become just almost normal now, right? Is that he was training guys like Randy Johnson at the time, and I was just fortunate enough to go. Like, you know, it cost me a, a pretty little penny to go. But I went in the off-season of 2005. And I went for two months. And I learned his program. I did it religiously. And took it home. Did it religiously. And I was a strong kid. Like, I lived in the gym, um, you know, and I was fortunate enough to have guys like Rodney Van Buzen, who, who I would go home every every year, and we would work, work out together. And he was, I want to say, seven years older than I was. But keeping up with Rodney, 
got me strong. And then, but I was strong like a gym guy. Um, sure, I threw hard, you know, 91, 94, not hard in the scheme of today, you know. Um, but it, it gave me that consistent jump learning to lift sports specifically. Uh, huge emphasis on core, huge emphasis on um just all the little pieces that go along with the big piece. Um, and it was a like game changer. I came back probably four miles out or harder the next year consistently. And, and that is really what made me take that massive leap is that it was, it is a lot easier to pitch at 95, 96 than 91, 92. When your fastball's pretty straight, <laughs> it's, I just find it so, so. This is two thousand and five. You're saying? Yeah, I want to say it's 05. So, like fifteen years ago, and that is, you know, could be considered to be almost right on the forefront of it. That it's such, it's so strange to me that th- this leap has taken in in actually quite a short period of time. But um, yeah, like the fact that you can dial up your fastball. Through workout and conditioning, um, and obviously you had, a, you had the ability anyway. But yeah, I think it's just fascinating to me that it's just in such a short period of time things have evolved so dramatically. They really have, and I know there's you know a lot of people that are skeptical on some of the things, and and you need to educate yourself on what works for you. I think that's the big thing, um, and. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to kind of impart really Brett's knowledge and what I've, I guess, developed with him in my own trial and error over the years that I can give it to my kids now. And we, we do a variation of what is his program today. Um, and every fall and, you know, <laughs> The crazy thing was last year I was on my own as, an, as a coach. You know, we were starting the program from the ground up and, you know, they could afford one coach. So now I'm fortunate enough that I could show that it was a really viable thing for the school is that I now have two assistants. And pre-season, I'm telling them, man, watch. I, I will have everybody up five miles an hour. And, and now they go, huh, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like we just had, so I've got um, Zach Murphy over here with me. Um, and he at 90 for the first time this week ever. Um, and I think he'd probably, the highest he'd probably ever thrown back home was 84, 85. Um, and in, I guess, less than six months, really, he's, he's touching 90 now. Um, so there's some just amazing things with strength. And I think that was part of the issue with a lot of Aussie kids initially is that we all thought we were probably strong enough, but when it came down to it, we were so undersized and undergamed and, you know, under strength conditioned especially this pitch, you know, especially play 140 games. 
um, you know, how many how many games do these Aussie kids play? Maybe twenty to thirty games, um, and now now they're expected to play one hundred and forty games. That's a massive jump. Um, so, I know a lot of the kids that I came over with, and potentially were better players than I was. Um, got stuck in the system of just weren't strong enough day one. You know, and that's that's something that I'm kind of passionate about because it, it helped my game completely. So I couldn't agree with you more on that on that element and, and that's the bit that we you know, it's just now a consistent theme. It's like we're a strength and conditioning podcast more than a baseball podcast. But I think that's the piece we I, we haven't quite figured out a way to get more games into an Australian baseball season here. We you know, our kids play on the weekend might cram an extra game in during the week, but it, it is what it is. But the one thing, the gym is always open and you know th- that's the piece you could catch up on and that's the bit we're trying to really drill into young players is, yeah, you might might have 30 games under your belt, but if you go to the, to the US or you go to a tournament and you're in the best physical condition that you can be in, um, you're giving yourself the best chance to succeed. So it's, it's just, as I said, it's just every coach and player we talk to who's been through the system – it's all starting to align. We haven't had a single guy go, no, 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 the weight room's overrated. So I think it just keeps <laughs> reinforcing how important it is. So when the um, – so your your professional career ends, you, you spent time in the major leagues, it looks like injury derailed it towards the end. It, like where – did you get to a point like what next? And, and what what – you know, there's obviously got to be a period of time where the only thing you've known is baseball. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you – drift for a little while? Did you have a game plan? What was what was the master plan once baseball finished? So it's kind of, I guess, a strange situation is I'm in camp with the Blue Jays. And the previous year I'd been struggling with some back stuff. And it's just been like just killing me every day. Like I'm, you know, walking in a clubhouse bent over like, like a 90-year-old lady. And I pitched against the Yankees one day and I had been told that I was probably in a good chance of making the clubhouse free throw. I pitched against the Yankees one day. I never pitch again. Basically, um, that next day, my back is trashed, like completely done. And they sent me to the doctor. And the doctor says, hey, man, you 100% need a fusion. Um, And there's never been a guy to come back from a fusion. Well, oh, thanks, man. I've been in the big league for the previous six years, and now you're telling me my career's over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that's really how it happened. And it was okay, I'm going to try and rehab, right? And they, they end up basically uh, putting me on work comp that day. Um, you know, basically somewhat necessarily releasing me, but I was still under the, the Blue Jays flag for about seven years. Um, I ended up having multiple back fusions uh, and still to this day I'm not right. But life moves on and you sit, you know, you're sitting here, I can't, I can't just do nothing anymore. You know, I can't just 
you know, 28, I love the game. I have to be in the game. Um, so we end up getting things done with the Blue Jays. And then this opportunity comes. And thank goodness it did because it, it gave me the best opportunity to uh, be the highest level of baseball in this town. And it's something that, you know, I missed a good level of baseball. Um, in the meantime, I did start a facility and uh, for kids uh, um, at that same same sort of time as well. So I was doing a whole bunch of team youth stuff with the kids and uh, my son and, and those kinds of things at the same time. But um, I had to get back involved in the game. And if, you know, ideally I probably would have wanted to go into the program, but I can sleep in my own bed every night. I live at home for 12 months a year. You know, I see my wife and kids, kiss them goodnight, all the great things about having a program in my hometown or now hometown um, kind of made this the ideal situation. Mm. So, so let's unpack life as a junior college head coach. So your program is in NCJ. Is it? I'm going to screw this up. In NCJ NJCAA. There you go. NJCAA. Yep. Division two. So what does that mean? National Junior College Association of America. So what does that mean? What's the Division two part? So the Division two. Okay. So there is multiple divisions of junior college. D one, D two, D three. Just like uh, NCAA. So. Uh, what is tough and not tough and basically what separates the institutions and what they're willing to spend on athletics is kind of how it is uh, determined. D1, you are allowed to scholarship anything you want. Uh, um, it's pretty much fair game. If you want a scholarship, you can scholarship. D2, we are allowed tuition and fees, um, whether that be through a foundation, which some colleges do. Um, unfortunately, we do not have that yet. Uh, we're trying to do that. Um, to, we have a little bit more money for international guys, which has been a big passion project of mine, obviously. I want to help Aussie kids. Um, but And then D3, they're not allowed to pay for anything. So, you know, D1, they can give dorms and food and um and all the things that come along with it, tuition and fees and books. Um, unfortunately, our level, which makes it better than D3, um, and the competition is good, is that we can only do tuition and fees. The baseball side of things, um, D1 Juco is excellent. Like, you are seeing... Potential guys that did not get drafted out of high school that are trying to get drafted within a year. You see guys that will go on to play at four-year universities. D2, you will see plenty of guys that will go on to play at D1 universities. So in our short time as a program, we have had three D1 four-year commits, NCAA commits. Uh, one of them is at Toledo. One of them is at Arkansas 
Arkansas State, and one of them is at uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So basically in our first full year, we've had three D1 commits. Um, so I don't know if that kind of gives an indication of how good the baseball is, but two of those guys are contributing at their level right now. Like day one, they can contribute to their uh, program. So the interesting part also is with D2 is that we play the number one team in the country with D2. So LSU-E, which actually a young Aussie kid has just signed to go play the next year. So um, he's going to an exceptional program. But they were ranked fifth in all of junior college last year. Um, So they're the teams we play. You know, that they're not just good JUCO D2 programs. They're good JUCO programs in general. Um, I guess something that alarmed a lot of people is we have eight dudes on our staff overnight. So, the, and the, this is a D2 program. The, I'm always... For many people, they don't understand the recruiting game and, and that's, I don't know, You, I'd love to know what percentage of your time is spent on recruitment, particularly you, you had a coaching staff, a grand total of one person on your coaching staff who was also the head coach and <laughs> you probably doubled up as the head groundsman and the head fundraiser and the head, um, you know, bus driver. You know, it's just a role that you do everything. Um are really interested in how do you recruit to a new program? And surely the Australian accent is a bit of a difference maker as well because people don't forget that phone call. Um, But I'm really interested in unpacking how you went about building a team and how you attract a kid with some talent to a brand new program. Um, I think it sometimes might be easier. Yeah, right. I don't know if it's easier. (laughs) Um, Hey, man, I've got no players. You want to come play? <laughs> you're almost guaranteed a spot, yeah. Yeah, hey, you're in, man. Um, that, that's, that was, I'm sure, like that first-year conversations that I know Hargrove um, had were like, hey, man, we, we don't even have a team yet, so you want to play, man? Um, you're probably going to play a little bit. So, and I think that's a, like, especially at our level, that is a concern of a lot of players. We end up last year was hectic. Um, obviously, I had a full time business. I was a, a part time head baseball coach, um, at least paid part time head baseball coach. Um, I was probably running hundred plus hours a week um, with recruiting, with my business, with travel leagues, with all the all the things. Um, it was it was crazy. Um, fortunately enough now, I do have two other guys that recruit for me as well. And, but it is, it's a lot of time on your cell phone looking at Twitter and, and COVID was strange too, is you have to make a decision on a guy and this happens to be Australian guys in general. You have to make a decision on a kid with 30 seconds to a minute of video. 
And this is the four best swings they've ever taken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're not sending me rubbish, right? They're sending me the four best swings that they've ever taken. The amount of videos I get where it's like, here's a nuke and here's a double. like <laughs> Video over. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. Something I would say, especially to other kids is, and I've covered this in a, you know, a couple of other guys that I've spoke to like podcast wise is that send me something that has a reason to open the email. If you send me that you are 90 miles an hour, I open the email. If you, if you and don't lie, like obviously don't lie, but, or, you know, I run a six, six, six. Okay. I am 6'4", 200 pounds. You know, these are all things that make me open an email. If you send me, I'm five foot five and a buck ten, probably not open the email. You know, you know, and here's my exit velo. It's 78. Probably not. Unfortunately, mate, I'm probably not opening your email. Um, and, and that's, I guess, what I can tell everybody, if it's to me, if it's to any program you're trying to be at or trying to get the attention of the coach or recruiter, is that make something in the subject line to say, hey, open this email. Because, and usually, usually it's a metric. Like if you can put a metric in there and say, you know, I'm 88 plus. That that gets my attention. You know, I get emails all day long. You know, you get field level. You get all these these recruiting websites, and the amount of seventy eight to eighty three mile an hour players is an exorbitant amount of numbers, right? Tell me something special. Tell me something that makes you different. And that, that usually gets my attention, at least for me to open an email. With and your, then we can start the conversation. You, you made a point that was interesting, though. Like, as a coach, you've, you believed you could add velocity through the conditioning and the strength conditioning programs you've got. So, you know, a kid mm-hmm. says, well, I'm 88. Are you looking at that going, I could probably get that to 92 with, with a year or two? Is, are you kind of then extrapolating out from that point? Well, if you come at this, I can get you to that. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's an element of, well, I've got to back myself home as the coach here to develop these kids to be bigger and stronger and faster. So obviously there's the minimum threshold. If, if you're sending an email, say I throw 75 and you, you might be able to get them to 80. But yeah, th- I guess you're recruiting upside as well. Like what can I get these guys to? Because not everyone's going to come to a junior college school blind 95 unless they've got severe academic problems or they really do want to take a one-year yeah. and then try and for the draft again. So how much of that factors mm-hmm. into the decision-making when it comes to recruiting too? I would say that if you were looking for some money, it needs to be 88 plus. Right. You know, um, you know, and maybe 87. But that 100% factors into my decision is that, okay, I'm taking a chance to develop you if you're 83 right now, and I'll, I, I'll take, I've taken a lot of chances on 83 mile an hour guys, 
especially if they're projected. Mm. Because my track record is actually 5 to 12. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so I had Matthew is a perfect example. He's one of my pitchers. He came to me at 82. This fall, he hit 95. <laughs> so, the, you know, and then it's crazy just because he bought in. Like 100%, he's a local kid. He would come to my building every day through the summer and work his butt off. And now, and he was a 6'2", strong-looking kid at the time. A little bit soft. You know, he'd, he'd kind of let himself go probably since high school a little bit. But they're the kind of things that we've, we've shown track record of. And, you know, we had another kid that he ended up going D1 because his grades were great and great kid, really good makeup. Um, he'd been to a junior college previously. Actually, he'd been to two. <clears throat> he transferred to us, was stuck at 88. Like, at high school, stuck at 88. Um through two junior colleges comes here buys in we get him you know doing all the things that kind of i know how to make you better you know I've, and he ends up leaving here at 93 and now has continued working hard and now he's 95 at toledo so we're not taking you know these guys have got bodies quick arms projectable but when they came here, weren't D1 ready. But, you know, there's, there's thousands of programs out there that are going to develop these kids to get them to the next level, at least the, the best ones. But, yeah, it's, a, it's a, you know, and I think player development is probably my passion. You know, I think a lot of Aussie guys have that same passion. <laughs> but, I enjoy that. What? Like that is that is like my favorite part. There's less is that if you can develop. Sorry, Sorry I'm talking over you there, but um, I, I kind of want to stay on the development piece. That you know, there's obviously time restrictions at a Division One, four year Division One school, junior college, and mm -hmm. we've had multiple people say like, "Well, it's you know, it's it's a baseball free for all. Like you can just get after it as long as you get your school done." So. What percentage, obviously season is different, but what percentage of time would you say is split across that player development, strength and conditioning versus baseball practice? What's the breakup of where time is being spent? Because I think that would be eye-opening to people who don't realise how much time a lot of players spend off the field working on their game, whether that be in the weight room, conditioning, um, or, you know, or, or baseball-specific spe type conditioning. I'm really interested in the breakdown that, the, the players put in um, at the junior college level? Um, that's that's a really good thing for JUCO. Hey, if you want to come and play baseball, come to JUCO because there is 100% restrictions on D1 as much as you can be in front of a coach. There's restrictions at the D2 level. You know, they're, they're full. They get 45 days to get everything done. Um, Juco, do whatever you want. <laughs> so if you want to play baseball and just happen to go to college at the same time, Juco is for you because you'll have all the development in the world. You play 56 games 
in the spring. And this year we got 14 dates. So we played 28 games in the fall. So we'll be looking at 80 games for the year. Mm. Um, but what is, I think, the best – and we scrimmage on lots. <laughs> um, so I guess a, a typical day for us, and um, and I'm not a huge believer in getting up at 6 a.m., because I know you've been to bed at 4 a.m. <laughs> you know, you're a college kid. I know exactly what you're doing, right? You're not going to bed at 8 o'clock going, oh, coach is going to be unhappy if I don't get up at 6 o'clock. Um, we see them at 8.30 in the morning. We practice from 9 till noon every day, well, 8.30 till noon every day on the field. And something that's really cool about our field is that actually Babe Ruth played there. So the greatest thing about Hot Springs, and this is kind of an offshoot, but um, the greatest thing about Hot Springs is <clears throat> before Arizona, before Florida, this is the home of spring training. So 75% of the Hall of Fame came through Hot Springs and played here. So just a quick offshoot of that, but that's our home field. We get to play where Jackie Robinson plays and Babe Ruth oh, and not, all these great. I'd like to think I knew a little bit about baseball. I did not know that, so um, there you go. Yeah, it's kind of a really great um, – there's a great documentary about the – it's called The Boys of Spring, and it covers everything Hot Springs and, and the turn-of-the-century sort of uh, baseball. But anyway, going back to Junior Cop. Uh, Nine and noon on the field. And the kind of the cool thing about, I guess, in junior college, where you wear many hats as a baseball coach, I guess. I'm also your academic advisor. So what I do is I schedule all your classes in the afternoon. So you get all your time with me in the morning and our coaches in the morning for three hours, four, three and four hours. And, and it's by design and the fact that I know you will get up for baseball practice. At least I put my eyes on you. <clears throat> you may not get up for that 9 a.m. class. <laughs> so, so, and this, parents, if you, this is something that you're looking into, make sure that, you know, maybe baseball is first on the agenda on some schools. Um, if you're worried about your kid, at least getting up for class. But yeah, but we do that. So we go, and then they do their class in the afternoon slash evening. You have a window from one o'clock till five o'clock. That, you well, know, even after that, but one o'clock to five o'clock is really our gym time. So if you are not in class and, you know, not doing that, you need to be in the weight room and you need to come see me at some point. And my office is right next to the weight room. So, I see, I have my eyes on you, you know, for at least two hours probably in that period. The good thing about owning a facility in town, and we have cages on campus, but uh, they're, ex they're external cages. So I have a 5,000 square foot building with three cages, you know, mound, radar guns, all the things, right? Just like an indoor facility. And the boys really have almost unlimited access to my facility. 
So at any time, if they're like, hey, coach, I want to come here, they can come here. Um, if, you know, if they want to get some, some med ball work in or um, get a little bit extra, they can come do that. Um, so we're really fortunate to have a really good, I guess, situation. You know, they're not on campus. That is that is in the in the pipeline, but with right now me having my own facility, my assistant also has um, another facility in town. So we almost have three facilities we can use at all times if we want. So if you want to get better, and and I tell these kids this, it's I'm not your babysitter. I'll give you the map to do it. You just have to buy in and get in here and do the work. So yeah. I'm, I'm conscious that we've had you for a good period of time here. I'm, I'm just I kind of want to wrap things up. Like, what a, what's your advice to Australian players about you know like obviously everyone? I think there's been a bit of a shift. Like the the, the volume of of young players signing professional contracts has narrowed. There's less positions available. It's a greater risk bringing kids out of Australia and obviously COVID crimped that. So we've got. I believe last time I chatted to Baseball Australia, there's 40 players going to play college baseball for the first time. Uh, they'd be leaving this year for the fall of 2022. So there's more kids going to, to college. Mm-hmm. Obviously kids like, well, I want to play D1. Um, what, what's your advice to Australian kids about the path that they can take and um, you know, what are the things they really need to focus on if they want to make this work for themselves? I would hunt like something that I would say is grab yourself a metal baseball bat and mix it in with your wood. Jeez, that's a hot um, take. That's something we've had. Yeah. yeah, something we've had to like, and this is because I've I've got I've got two Australians right now, Josh Beasley and and Murph and Zach Murphy, and I would say get a metal baseball bat. The funny thing that and it's really only come to fruition here in like the last three months. Is that, and another kid I got from New York who swung wood a lot is in the same sort of predicament. Is that the, the sweet spot on a wood bat is about an inch different in length, I would say. In the fact that if you were swinging a 33 ounce bat, a 33 inch bat, and you were swinging a 33 inch wood bat, the sweet spot's not the same spot um so yes it's you think man it's really easy just to go over and swing metal it weighs differently it swings differently it you know it just it's something that really and if you can like if you are really good at making adjustments i don't think you'll have a big adjustment period but it'd be worth picking one up Ask a guy that's been to college that has one and just take a couple of cuts with it. Like maybe, you know, every time you're hitting the cage, take a couple of cuts with it. That's, if you're going to college, wouldn't you want to swing with what you're going to swing with? Um, the other one is, is that don't be so hung up on level. I know we all want to go play D1. If you are undersized, if you are not 
I guess, 90 to 95 on the mound. Um, you may have a hard transition in that first two years. And, and I know a lot of JUCO guys say, hey, man, come play JUCO because you can get all the – you get 200 bats a year, you're going to play straight away. It's not always true, um, especially with COVID because we have – we got some old dudes, <laughs> you know. They, they gave they gave them two years back. You know, I've got 20-year-old, 21-year-old COVID freshmen. So – you know, they could play two more years for me. Um, but in saying that, if you are a skilled winner, right, that's a big thing right now especially, is that college coaches keep their jobs when we win, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you – and the thing, the great thing about Aussie kids, and it's always been from top to bottom – you don't leave Australia and travel 7,000 miles away. You usually throw an opportunity away. <clears throat> you know, they're here to work. They have a goal. You know, they realize that they're going to try and outwork anybody. And that's the best thing about other kids, right? It's always, always been the way. Um, <clears throat> kind of in the news right now, right, is collective bargaining is that the worst thing to happen for for Aussie kids was 2012. And I just happened to be in the the bargaining room at the time um, when the international signing deal came up, right? Mm. And I was like, this is going to kill Aussie kids going to Pro Bowl. When you limit the amount of pool of money that you're going to do internationally, how much is going to go to Aussie kids comparatively to a Dominican or a Puerto Rico or a um, Venezuelan or any Latin community? Those kids are just, some of those kids are prepared, mm. you know, and yeah. special, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's definitely um, an interesting thing with international draft being on the table also. But one thing I would say is I know a lot of kids that have been out of Pro Bowl within two years that if they'd taken the opportunity to go and um, develop two years, develop four years in college, you can't go back with eligibility. Um. And even guys who made the big ones, I know Trent and John Olchen and Roll Smith, I'm sure they'd all tell you guys the same thing, is that if you are good enough to play in the big leagues, usually somebody will find you and you'll be still good enough to play in the big leagues. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's kind of a... I, I potentially wouldn't take the same thing because I enjoy my, my path but knowing how many kids that were out of Pro Bowl in two years probably should have taken the college route mm-hmm. so how does a how does an Australian kid get on your radar obviously send an email saying I'm 6 foot 4 200 390 and 
hit tanks. But um, <laughs> aside from that, what's the uh, you know like you you've mentioned earlier on, you're a division um, two uh, junior college, so there's a scarcity of money you can hand out. It's obviously you know a kid and the parents going to have to pay. But if if they're serious, what do they need to do to be considered? Um, get in touch with um, any of the Australian guys that know me. Um, that's usually a good start. Uh, uh, the other one is, like the two guys I have now, um, Murphy and Van Buzen, um, they're both related <laughs> to guys that I've known for a very long time. You know, I've, we've had conversations with Tyson Noel. Unfortunately, he um, chose somebody else. But, you know, the biggest thing for me is I want the best situation for Aussie kids. Um, and you can catch me on Twitter, chopper underscore 54. Um, or shoot me an email, richard.thompson at np.edu. And say you're Australian. <laughs> That'll get <laughs> that you an audience. Helps. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that'll get your email open, yep, right? There you go. Um, make an Australian team. I keep up with all of that, that still. Um, or make an Australian travel squad, like the uh, camp squad. That usually um, will probably draw my attention. Um, and even if not, is that, you know, the great thing about Australian baseball is that everybody knows everybody, mm. um, especially at the top level. If you want to get a hold of me and you know somebody that potentially knows me, I mean, especially the Perth guys, like I know Diamond Fitness is doing their thing right now. Those guys know me. You know, I've played against all of those boys. You know, me and Husey played together in the big league. Um, so... All those guys that I know are doing things with baseball now, um, we've known each other for 20-something years. <laughs> so as much as I've been away from home for a long time, I'll answer that those guys' call anytime. Um, well, it's... Um, so, and then obviously... It, well, it's just like life, right? Go ahead, mate. Well, it's just it's life. It's who you know. It's networking, and and yeah, as you said, it, for the most part, Australians want to look after Australians and want to at least help out. So, um, yeah, just tapping into the channels that exist. Um, obviously, the easiest way, and, and the good thing is they're going to get an audience where they may not be ready or they, they may not be up to it, but at least you'll. Um, you know, you'll hear them out. So that's probably the, the most positive thing. Um, we've had you for a really long period of time here and appreciate your insights. Um, you're probably a quarter of the way through your season, a uh, long way to go. We'd love to check in later in the year and um, I hope that you've had some success. And, uh, yeah, appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Rich. Absolutely. Thanks, mate.